welcome to mini episode 34 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? I've got two gorgeous, ghostly, ghoulish tales for you today. Excellent alliteration. Thanks very much. I tried, I actually did try. I was frantically, when I said ghostly, I was already trying to think of another G word. Story number one comes from Maria. My dad was a student at a college near Manchester, England in the early 1980s. The college, a Catholic teacher training centre, had been set up in the historic house of a rich family who had owned land in the area since the 12th century. My parents met there and have many fond memories of the time they spent at college with friends during their student years. The site of the college was sadly abandoned some years later and is now a listed building in need of extensive renovation. I'm sure that there are many stories worth exploring about this historic building. However, the story that I'm about to share takes place off campus in nearby Castleton, Rochdale. After completing their first year at college, my dad and several of his friends were in need of a place to rent. Like most students, they were short on money, but eager to secure a roof over their heads. Eventually, they found a place in nearby Castleton, a typically northern red brick end terrace house with a small alleyway leading round the side of the property and giving access to the rear of the house. This will be important to our story later. The house wasn't especially close to any shops or bars, nor was it particularly close to the college, approximately a 45-minute walk. But it was unusually cheap to rent, making it even more of an attractive proposition to a group of students. Incidentally, my dad knew the previous tenants of the property. They were also students at the college and had rented the property prior to my dad and his friends moving in. It was common knowledge that they had reported several strange experiences while living at the house and had even asked the local priest to cleanse and bless the house for them. But typically, this didn't deter my dad and his friends. However, it wasn't long before they too became familiar with the strange atmosphere in the house at number 83. Several events happened over the course of the tenancy to several people. Some were tenants at the house, while others were visitors. One of my dad's friends reported returning from a night out and ascending the stairs to his bedroom, only to feel an unseen pair of hands push him backwards, causing him to fall down the stairs, narrowly escaping serious injury. My mum would visit my dad at the house, and when upstairs in the bedrooms, would hear banging and crashing coming from what sounded like the kitchen downstairs. Upon investigation, they would find that no one else was down there. In fact, this also happened when they were alone in the house. Yet the sounds continued. One particular day, two of my aunts, my dad's sisters, who also lived in the area as they attended college and worked nearby, came to visit my dad at the house. This was the late 1980s, a pre-mobile phone era, so my aunts just turned up at the house hoping to find my dad at home. When they arrived at the house of number 83, they knocked as usual but there was no answer. They knocked again, still no answer. Peering into the windows on the ground floor, they could clearly see the living room and through to the kitchen. All was quiet and nothing was out of the ordinary. Downstairs, at least, the house appeared to be empty. Wondering whether my dad was upstairs, sleeping, or perhaps in a different location that couldn't be seen from the front, 
they decided to walk through the alleyway to the left-hand side of the house which led around to the back, hoping they would get a better view there. The walk from the front to the back of the house would have taken perhaps 15 seconds, maybe less. When they arrived at the back of the house, they looked through the windows again, expecting to see my dad. But what met their eyes was something entirely different. Just seconds earlier, they had looked into the kitchen from the front and nothing seemed untidy or out of the ordinary. Now every cupboard of every unit in the kitchen had been thrown wide open. Pots and pans were scattered chaotically across the floor. Confused and a little frightened, my aunts retreated back to the front of the house, wondering what on earth had caused the contents of the kitchen to end up on the floor like that. Perhaps someone was in after all, and just hadn't heard their knocks and calls. Perhaps one of the tenants was just ill or maybe hung over. This was a student house after all, and had had an accident in the kitchen. Or perhaps it was something else. The last event to happen in the house took place in the middle of the night. It wasn't uncommon back then for students to share rooms, and my dad was no exception. Both he and his roommate had been asleep one night when my dad was suddenly woken up by the most terrifying, gut-wrenching scream. Looking across his room in confusion and fear, my dad saw his roommate crouched against the wall at one end of the bed, still screaming and crying, pointing at the opposite wall. My dad could see nothing, but immediately went to comfort his friend, wondering what the hell had just happened to disturb him in such a hysterical way. When he eventually calmed down, my dad's roommate told him that he had woken up and noticed a small white light which focused itself on the wall opposite the foot of his bed. The light had started to grow outwards slowly, spreading itself along the blank wall until forming the unmistakable ghostly shape of an old woman dressed in long white clothes. The apparition appeared to be floating on the wall and was looking straight at him as he lay terrified in bed until he cried out, waking up my dad. My dad could see nothing in the room that could have been mistaken for what his friend described. From then on, his friend refused to sleep in that room at night time. These stories, of course, must be taken with their particular context. The tenants of the house at number 83 were typical students. Students who enjoyed going out, socialising and drinking like many others. Is it not easy enough to sway and fall down the stairs after several pints? Is it too far a leap of faith to blame bumps in the night on paranormal forces when, in all likelihood, alcohol-induced dreams and dulled senses could easily account for some of the experiences of the tenants of the house? May perhaps one blame the power of passing time coupled with the elasticity of memory for the bizarre and unusual aspects of these stories as they've been told through the years. Strangely enough, my dad claims never to have seen anything out of the ordinary in the house, but will testify to its peculiar and oppressive atmosphere to this very day. Sounds like poltergeist activity to me. It's classic poltergeistism. Opening stuff, throwing stuff on the floor, banging and crashing around. Although that doesn't explain the old lady. Also sounds very much like student behaviour in a student house too though. I mean I like that Maria gave the context of the fact that they were probably drunk a lot of the time. Yeah. 
because I feel like my student experience was probably the same. Yeah, my student experience definitely, I definitely spent a rather large amount of time drinking. And you, more than anybody, can relate to the fact that it is quite possible to fall downstairs without being pushed by Oh yeah, even sober. (laughs) Even sober. I mean, we're laughing here, but I fall down the stairs so regularly. It's ridiculous. And generally, it's quite funny. That one time I did break my arm, which actually wasn't very funny. It's not funny. It's never funny. But the rest of the time, it is quite funny. But yeah, so I like the context of that. However, you know what side I'm going on. The rational, logical, scientific side. No, the irrational, paranormal belief. I do like the story of his aunts, though, being in the house. And yeah, well, they weren't even in the house. not even in the house <laughs> and bopping around the back and then everything is upside down and back to front when they've just seen it. And surely you'd hear it. Because to do, like, if that was a human being going into the kitchen and, like, even if they were playing a prank, say, yeah. on the ants, you'd hear them yep. crashing around and, like, banging things within that 15 seconds you definitely would imagine they went around the back and all the furniture was on the ceiling like the twits yeah like how would they deal with that that is the second time this week we've mentioned the twits that's weird why are we talking about the twits this week it was me i've brought brought the twits (laughs) twice and our second story this week comes from Kay. i'd gone to bed with a headache So my mom put an electric heating pad on my pillow. A while later, I hadn't fallen asleep, but she came in and turned the pad off, for safety, I'm sure. But I waited until she had left and turned it back on again, because it was winter and it felt nice. So that night, I dreamed I was in the snow in our front yard. I walked into the house and up to my bedroom where I saw myself sleeping. I shook myself awake, woke up and turned the heating pad off. I don't think it was supernatural, just my subconscious trying to keep me from melting my own head. It was, 23 years later, the most realistic dream that I've ever had. And since I'm writing to you, I'll share the closest thing to a paranormal experience that I've ever had. When I was in about 7th grade, I lived deep in the woods in Connecticut. I was primed for scary happenings. We lived within walking distance of an old unused cemetery. An acre into our backyard was where our county disposed of all the roadkill cleaned off the road. My best friend and neighbour was a huge horror fan and the Blair Witch Project had just been released. So I found the woods that we lived in to be absolutely wonderful but equally as terrifying. But my story takes place in the middle of the day. My best friend, Big Brother and I, had been walking along the road when we found an unopened bottle of white wine. Being the kind of kids we were, we decided to take it to a big boulder and smash it. The boulder we chose was mostly sheer-faced rock about eight feet or so tall. We had to scurry around the edge to get up on top. We smashed the bottle on the face of the rock and felt quite pleased with ourselves. We sat atop the rock just hanging out when I started to lose my balance. I'd been on the edge of the boulder and fell down several feet to the bottom. I was okay, just surprised really, but my brother and my friend were horrified to see my arm covered in blood. I suppose I must have cut myself on the broken glass from the bottle since that's where I landed, so I wrapped my very hip denim vest around my arm and in shock followed my brother and my friend home. 
My friend bolted on home when we got to our house and my brother wanted to sneak me in to clean the wound so maybe we could hide it and we wouldn't get in trouble. When he unwrapped my arm though, I had no cuts. He rinsed my arm and it was clean. My vest was pretty clean too. We counted ourselves lucky and shrugged it off. But it always stuck with me because of how weird it was. I had landed on nothing but broken glass, white wine and some sparse shrubs. Nothing red anywhere in sight. I don't know what it could have been other than blood because of everyone's reactions. They all thought so too. We wouldn't have cut our weekend adventuring short for anything less than a dire situation. Also, how did I not cut myself landing on a bunch of glass from high up? I can't explain it. Well, lucky for you, Kay, I can. Oh. It's a very well-known fact that white wine is the best cure for cuts to the skin. And if you bathe your bleeding arm in a bath of white wine within minutes, the wounds will heal themselves. My God. <laughs> That's if obviously... only I had known all those years. <laughs> That's obviously not true. That's very strange, isn't it? Like what was on her arm? That's really weird. Mm, it's very and odd. From somebody who has, I sliced my elbow, the same elbow open twice on glass. Once I fell through a window in school and the other time I fell off a stool in a nightclub when I was very drunk. A nightclub that used to be called Reds, if anybody remembers it, in Dublin city centre. And I sliced my elbow open on broken glass on the ground. And both times I felt no pain. Didn't didn't at all realise I'd cut myself. Like K. Like K. And then it was only when I, I, the first time I stood up and like pointed my arm and realised that my hand was covered in blood. And had to be like driven to the doctors from school. And the second time again I stood up looked at my hand and again covered in blood and I hadn't noticed either time. But I'd imagine both times when you were cleaned up you actually did have a wound. Oh yeah, I've got two lovely big scars on my elbow. Which is a big difference between yeah. your story and Kay's story. So that is quite bizarre. I also really like the nods to 90s in this and I feel like, you know, we've gone through a phase of having lots of things that are set in the 80s where you get loads of neon and there's loads of little 80s tropes in like the movies and stuff. Yeah. I think we were on the brink of just about to hit the 90s ones so I, all of these references will be in movies soon i can guarantee i want a 90s nostalgia stranger things type film or tv series that would make me really happy i mean i still dress like it's the 90s so i mean you've got okay the dairy girls it's very similar yes dairy girls <laughs> that is yeah that's very similar except it does use that song in it that really annoys you that isn't from the 90s shipping up to boston by the dropkick murphys yes so if you enjoyed this week's episode you can find everything you need to know about us on real life ghost stories podcast.com you can find the links to our social medias you can find the email address to send your story to you can also find the link to our patreon where for five dollars a month you get access to over 70 bonus episodes and for two dollars a month you get access to the complete back catalogue of 50p movie club which is oh i get to, oh, uh, sorry i wasn't expecting that yep hello uh it's a podcast that I used to do with will i now do with dave where I select a movie from the 50p section of CEX and we watch it and we talk about it. And normally the movie is not very good, but in a very entertaining way. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.